Welcome to Unapologetic Live. Happy Friday, everybody. You're going to find it's a little different today. Taylor's not here. Cam's in the producer's bay, and he'll hopefully say hi. Hey, guys. <laughs> okay. So so Cam will be p- pitching in throughout the show. Today, we're going to talk about Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter, get into all the memes, the leftist freakouts, who's getting fired, and are there crisis actors when it comes to the Twitter takeover? Let's get into it. Welcome in, guys, and happy Friday. As I said before, hope you guys are going to have a fantastic weekend this weekend. Drop your plans down below in the chat. We're probably going to have a pretty interactive show. I'll be looking at the chat to see what you guys are saying down below. And Halloween is Monday, so let me know. What's your Halloween costume going to be this year? I don't have one. Cam, are you dressing up for Halloween? Uh, I'm not dressing up. Oh, you're not dressing up. Uh, so I, 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 I was expecting to dress up this this Halloween, but ended up not being able to get a costume. I actually was going to do this whole YouTube video where we did a costume and makeup and all this stuff for you guys and end up not getting around to it. So, boomy, I'll try to put together maybe a last-minute Halloween costume for you guys, if I can think of anything, but I'm not sure that I have anything in my closet to make that happen. You guys let me know again what are your costumes going to be down below. Now let's get into the Twitter takeover. Elon Musk is now famously taking control of Twitter for a $44 billion what it must be like to have that much money and use it to buy a platform like Twitter, which is very well known to be not be not be profitable at the moment. Uh, So hopefully he's going to make some changes around there. The initial thing that he said he was going to do was fire 75 percent of Twitter's employees. And I believe he started his firing process today. Here's a tweet out of Disclosed TV saying just in Elon Musk took control and immediately fired Twitter's CEO, the CFO and the head of legal policy, trust and and safety. I wonder why you would fire the head of legal policy, trust, and safety. It's almost like you cannot trust Twitter whatsoever, and she didn't do her job. She appeared on Joe Rogan to sort of defend some of the censorship that Twitter was engaging in and talk about the platform's guidelines and how they go about censoring people, and apparently that was not forgotten by Elon Musk because he stepped in there and just fired all of the heads of the hierarchy. So they're all gone. And of course, the memes about this uh, coming out are just hilarious. I did a whole short on the YouTube channel that you guys can check out of my favorite from this time. Uh, So people were standing outside of Twitter and trying to get media, of course, trying to get news headlines and interviews with people who were probably subsequently fired after Elon Musk came in. And these two guys were hanging out outside the Twitter's headquarters with their cardboard boxes, with their equipment inside of it. And all these media outlets thought, okay, these guys got fired by Twitter. Let's go ahead and interview them. It even came out. It's happening. An entire team of data engineers let go. These are two of them. Hashtag uh, Twitter takeover. And the reason I'm laughing is because these guys are, in fact, not two data engineers from Twitter. Twitter. They were actually trolling the media and pretending to be fired employees from Twitter. And you'll know this once we get into their names. I'm not going to to reveal them just yet. Here's them going on the news, at least one of them. Let's look at the clip. His own words. What do you make of that? What do you think Twitter will look like? I mean, a free speech is, you know, Nazis saying that, uh, you know, trans women shouldn't, you know, use women's uh, locker rooms, then 
awesome. I guess mission accomplished. We'll see. Listen, I got to touch base with my husband and wife. I got to get out of here. All right. Thank you guys. Sorry, Daniel. Thank you. Uh, yeah, he says at the end of that, I got to go touch base with my husband and wife. Apparently that didn't set off any red flags, although it might have been a live interview. So who knows? Apparently anybody can just act like they're anybody and get on the news today and have their their 15 minutes. So he said, yeah, I got to touch base with my husband and wife. And he said his name was Daniel and his name went on record as Daniel Johnson. OK, remember that. And this young man right here carrying his Michelle Obama book to look like a torture leftist who's now been fired from Twitter, he told the media that his name was Raul Ligma. <laughs> so uh, Raul Ligma and Daniel Johnson, Ligma and Johnson, uh, you guys can figure out what that means and the joke that they were going for. And if you can't, then you're maybe too young to be watching the program anyways. <laughs> so we're not going to get into that. Uh, but easily trolled several news outlets and several publications that were publishing their names saying that Elon Musk had fired them. They even made a fake LinkedIn account saying that they were data engineers at Twitter on LinkedIn. A lot of dedication to the joke, much like Elon Musk's dedication to carrying a sink into the Twitter headquarters and saying, let that sink in. And even Elon Musk picked up on it and said, Ligma Johnson had it coming (laughs) and tweeted this out today. So at least we've got some jokes coming out of this entire situation. It is a little bit scary how easy it is to trick the media into thinking you're part of a major story when you really are not whatsoever. And who has any idea what their political leanings are? I don't. I don't know. I think this will be the last time we hear from Raul Ligma and Daniel Johnson. (laughs) Hopefully. Uh, But The New York Post has now put out an article saying that the left has lost its mind over Elon's Twitter takeover. Quote, like the gates of hell have opened from a one Taylor Lorenz. Now, Taylor Lorenz, we all know, famously was working for the Washington Post and doxing individuals. She's the one who's responsible for doxing libs of TikTok on Twitter, ended up showing up at her house, knocking doors of her family members, trying to get her name and her address and where she worked and ended up publishing this in the Washington Post and then crying about how harsh the internet is on people like her and how there are so many people filled with hate who are out to get you on the internet and she was just a victim of that throughout her entire life even though she was totally fine with doxing an individual who did not want their identity to be shown to the internet. So of course Taylor Lorenz when seeing that somebody like Elon Musk is going to be taking over Twitter says this is like the gates of hell opening up. Let's read the article. Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter sparked a complete meltdown among many left-wing users, with some comparing it to the end of time, saying the gates of hell have opened on the site. Musk's confirmation that he had taken control Thursday, changing his bio to Chief Twit, while celebrating with the bird is free, was widely cheered by conservatives hoping for an end to the platform's censorship of key news like the post-Hunter Biden expose, which we know about that. The FBI reached out to the heads of Twitter, the heads of Facebook, Instagram. Mark Zuckerberg talked about this on Joe Rogan and said, hey, we know all this stuff is coming out about a laptop, right? It's all over the Internet. People are posting it. It's starting to spread. The story's starting to get out. We're seeing headlines. I'm going to need you to quell that. I'm going to need you to slow that down, shadow ban people, take the posts off the Internet uh, for, for seven days, I believe, is what Mark Zuckerberg initially stated on Joe Rogan. 
So you have a government agency communicating with the heads of these social media platforms, which are responsible for disseminating a lot of pivotal and key information to the American people. The FBI telling them, hey, let's not let's just it's not a good time for this one. Let's push that away. Let's not hear. Let them see the truth. And it doesn't really matter how you feel about the Hunter Biden laptop, whether or not you you think it, it speaks to the state of this current administration or if it's just his son, whatever. It's pretty pivotal information that was being held away from the American people by the FBI. And to think that that was not happening at Twitter is just ridiculous. We all know that they're responsible for censoring dissent. They're responsible for censoring certain news stories, reshaping the way that we see certain news stories. But let's keep reading this article. But it also triggered alarms on the left, with some saying it was an emergency, an apocalyptic Always the most catastrophic of reactions to the most minuscule things. <laughs> it's always the end of the world. It's always a fascist takeover. It's always an apocalypse that is being ushered in by the far right or alt right pipeline, as they call it in today's day and age. Quote, it's like the gates of hell opened on this site tonight, insisted Washington Post columnist Taylor Lorenz. As I said before, we all know Taylor Lorenz for being extremely dramatic and not really a reliable source of information. The former New York Times reporter who came under fire for doxing the anonymous libs of TikTok account insisted her tone was justified because she immediately started getting more rape threats in the DMs than normal. But can't log off and miss the chaos, she admitted. You know, if you hate the Internet, if you hate Twitter, if you hate what people are saying on social media... It's really easy to not be on social media. Just don't do it anymore. Or does your personality and your entire brand and all the things that you talk about feed off that energy? At least she admitted that, yeah, it's impossible to be away from the chaos and I don't want to miss it. Journalism professor Jeff Jarvis had called the takeover a, quote, emergency, saying Twitter is to be taken over by the evil, what is it, Sith Lord? Is that, is that like a Star Wars reference that I'm missing? Um, yeah, that's a Star Wars reference. Okay. Yes. I, I'm never going to get the Star Wars references. This is why we need Taylor on the show for that. The sun is dark, he later wrote while tweeting news that Musk, quote, completes Twitter takeover and fires top executives. Of course, they're going to freak out, guys. Everybody's going to be upset. Everybody, at least on the, the far left of the spectrum here, is going to be upset with Elon Musk taking over Twitter because it means they're losing their control of the platform. It means they're losing a grasp on what you can say. It means they're losing a grasp on what you hear, what you think, what you feel, and they're not okay with that. And it's not like Elon Musk is ushering in a future now where far left people are going to get censored off the platform or have their tweets taken down or have their articles bashed and shadow banned on the platform. He's just simply saying, why can't we all coexist on in the same realm of Twitter? Why can't we all share our ideas without stifling people? And we all know that the head of what trust and safety and, and the, 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 legit, the legal part of Twitter is responsible for taking off a one Mr. Donald Trump. And again, it doesn't matter how you feel about Donald Trump, much like it doesn't matter how you feel about the Hunter Biden laptop. What matters is these pieces of information, the tweets that he wanted to put out, the, the thoughts that he wanted to vocalize are not allowed on the platform. 
And it's almost like they don't trust you to have a brain of your own and decide whether or not something is real or BS. They don't trust you to be able to make decisions about what it is that you see, hear, think, and feel. They always want you to be on their side of the argument through and through, 100% of the way or none at all. And that's why Twitter has really been a hellscape for so long. We're talking about the gates of hell opening now. The gates of hell have been open on Twitter. And it's been these blue check, blue haired leftists who are completely controlling everything it is that you see. So I'm excited to see what changes are made. It seems like you've really hit the ground running in these these firings. And, you know, I'm not going to rejoice in a bunch of people losing their jobs because I imagine there are some people working at Twitter who had nothing to do with the censorship that was happening on the platform, who were just coming in and doing their jobs as, I don't know, a data analyst or an engineer who are now going to be seeing themselves out. And for those people, you know, I go, oh, well, that's that's unfortunate that you're getting laid off from your job. But for the ones who are responsible for actively censoring people, I'm not sad for you. Just seems like a, a reckoning to be reckoned. And the time has come and people have been complaining about it while they've been sitting in their ivory towers going, you know, we're never going to get caught in this. Nobody's ever going to be able to touch us or reach us. And we're going to keep playing the game uh, based on our rules rather than on the fair playing ground of what is the First Amendment. And guess what? It took $44 billion to usher in a change and to flip the script. So if you lose your job in the wake of it and you're responsible for what they were doing, I'm not sad. And it's not really about, you know, me tweeting out that there are two genders and getting taken off the platform, although that's atrocious and shouldn't be happening. It's about the broader scale of what they can accomplish with a stronghold on the American mind like this. They can dictate elections. I know we're not supposed to say the word election. I might get taken off of YouTube for just (laughs) uttering the word, but they can truly manipulate how you vote and how you think and what candidate you think is best. They can manipulate how you feel about certain foreign affairs that are happening right now. They can manipulate how you feel about the economy. You know, this whole this whole lie that we're not in a recession right now and we're changing the definition and all these different things. All of that is facilitated by these social media platforms. And they work in this synergistic relationship with the government where the government decides what narrative they want and they go, hey guys, just a quick little email Just a quick little email here. Can you make sure that maybe this information doesn't get out to people? Can you make sure that if this story breaks, it doesn't get a lot of likes, nobody's able to retweet it? Uh, Can you unverify this person? Can you cancel this one? Can you suspend them and ban that one so that you never know what's up and what's down and you're just force-fed a story to keep you at bay and keep you from knowing what is actually going on? And... Now we're, we're flipping that on its head. But again, can't put all your faith in one man. So I'm very interested to see where this goes because we see a lot of people make it into those big rooms, find a seat at the table, and then they get corrupted as well. Or they find that there's just insurmountable problems in the space that they're in. And I hope that doesn't happen to Elon. And you would think with the amount of resources that he has that it's not going to be the case. He's actually tweeted out, some of his plans. He said Twitter will be forming a content moderation council with widely diverse viewpoints. No major content decisions or account reinstatements will happen before that council convenes. Look at that. <laughs> so we've been asking for all along not to have this 
right-leaning monolith on Twitter, but hey, can you bring people who have all different types of opinions about what content should be on the internet and what should be on social media, allow them to have a discussion and then remake your guidelines so that we can have some amounts, even a degree of fairness in what's going on? Because if I'm tweeting out that there are two genders and getting banned off your platform and some leftist is tweeting out death threats to white people and is remaining on the platform, we clearly have a problem. And people pointed this out, of course, when when Trump got his account taken off of Twitter, while there was literal, what, ISIS still existing on Twitter and recruiting people and making accounts and publishing tweets, and that was still existing on the platform, while the president of the United States at the time could not? Come on. Uh, Clearly there's a problem. Clearly we need to move back to a pluralistic form of governance when it comes to the platform, and that's exactly what Elon Musk is attempting to do. In, in, in other news, which was very interesting, you guys heard the PayPal story, right? Of the, they're going to find $2,500 for people who are putting out misinformation on, on the internet at large. PayPal can now go into your bank account, take out $2,500, and just go, oh, it's because you... You said there were two genders. We'll just keep using that example. You stated a piece of misinformation on the internet, and now we're just going to take money that the average American does not have. The average American family cannot muster up $400 if you ask them to do so uh, in an emergency. And you're going to take $2,500. So everybody starts freaking out. PayPal stock uh, just tanks as all these conservatives start to delete their accounts and pull their support from PayPal and publish all these different articles about it. So PayPal goes, oh, no. It was an accident. I know we explicitly wrote we were going to take $2,500 out of your account, and we did so in detail, and it was in the guidelines, and we put those guidelines out to you, but that was an accident. I heard today that they actually put the $2,500 fine back into the guidelines. So their, their stock tanked. They got a little scared over what was happening, and then they went, you know what? It's actually a great idea. We're going to put that right back in. So if for any reason any of you still have PayPal, I would get out of there. And Elon Musk actually tweeted about that story today. And it seems as though that $2,500 fine is still there on the app and in the guidelines. And that's supposed to go into effect, I believe, on November 3rd. So I will be canceling my PayPal account. Uh, I don't know why I haven't done so already, but I will certainly... Uh, be doing that today. And I just can't believe that in in the face of being caught, you sneak it back into your guidelines. And this just shows where their values lie, where their priorities lie. And it's very similar to the Twitter story here. It sucks that you have to have one person who goes, this is crazy. Here's $44 billion. This is how much it takes to inject good values into a company like this. What's it going to take for something like PayPal? A lot. A lot of money for somebody to take that over and go, this is not okay. We need to change the guidelines here. And what has happened is that these far left radical people have managed to just infiltrate so many different points and spheres of influence in our country that they now get to dictate what happens on their terms. And their terms are radical. Their terms are crazy. And they're not beneficial to anybody. You can sit on the far left and go, you know what, I agree with these people, so this is going to work for me. I would like to see people on the far right have their money taken away. I would like to see them deplatformed. I would like to see their livelihoods taken away from them. What happens when it's you? 
You just never expect it to be you is the problem. You can't put yourself in somebody else's shoes because we are so divided now as a nation that we're not even talking to people who we disagree with anymore. So people need to recognize that ideas like this, like diving off misinformation and canceling and suspending and banning people for things like hate speech are not beneficial to anybody even though they sound beautiful and wonderful. And again, I'm so happy to hear that Elon Musk is trying to bring in diverse viewpoints. He's not fighting for one side, even though conservatives seem to be the only ones who are championing this big change. And it's because people on the left are not excited about losing their power. I will say, as soon as Elon announced that he bought Twitter, the N-word did start trending on the platform. So <laughs> uh, I think people are getting a little uh, Twitter happy uh, now that that's happening. And that is to be expected. And this is the interesting thing and something that Taylor and I talked about on the program earlier. When you go through a long period of censoring people and telling them what they can and cannot say, what do you think is going to happen when you when you let go of the reins a little bit and allow them to do what it is that they've been holding back for years now, the pendulum's going to swing back and it's going to swing back really hard. And that's why you need to have these moments like Elon buying this platform. You need to have these wins because imagine if we waited another, another five years for this to happen, another 10 years, you get this anger that just boils inside of people that they are ready to show, they are ready to throw out at you, but they can't because of the power structure that's set in place. So, I mean, you're, you're lucky to only have the N-word trending, which is like a horrible thing to say. But it's true. It's true. Because people become radicalized, not in moments that you allow them to speak on the internet, but in moments that you don't. If, and if you're questioning this at all, like, go on 4chan for two seconds. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been on 4chan. I admittedly have been on 4chan. Have you? Uh, I haven't been on 4chan really much, but mm -hmm. I think, I think with this whole thing where like the N word starts trending, I think what happens is like people are censored. So they're not hearing anything that remotely sounds like what they believe in. And yep. then when somebody really radical comes around and they happen to be closer to them than like people on the other side, yes. they just side with that person just because they happen to be a little closer, even if they don't like, they just recognize their beliefs. Right. And right. they're like, Oh, well, like I kind of agree with this person, but they're crazy. And then they get super popular and blow up because they're the only one with a dissenting opinion on the platform. Yeah, that's it's, going viral. it's reminding me of Andrew Tate and Sneeko. Like, yeah. You guys know who they are. They're all over social media now. And it's not because what they say is particularly profound. Like Andrew Tate is not the Jordan Peterson of this time. I hate to break it to all the top G fans out there with the comments eight W's and all that stuff. But he's really not. What he's doing is filling a void. And the void was masculine energy on the internet, and he filled it to the nth degree, overfilled that masculine energy, and people took to it because there was no, there's no other options. <laughs> like, you can take this highbrow Jordan Peterson type and go for him and listen to him, and, and that's great and good, and I do think in many ways he's a good role model. But if you don't take to that, what's the next option? It's Andrew Tate. Yeah, and I didn't. I I can't remember exactly what I responded to. I didn't mean that the N word seems like something that they were, you know, aligning with or <laughs> right? anything. I was specifically thinking of Andrew Tate, but I think I think kind of like when when maybe the N word starts picking up traction on on Twitter, they're like, I think it might be because people are responding to censorship and like, oh, what are you gonna do now? You know, it's terrible and ridiculous, but right. 
it's it's in the, it, it's just the cycle of what happens. So if I am let's let's what's a good example? I'm an anti-feminist, right? Okay, and I start posting anti-feminist sentiments on the internet, and Twitter or Instagram or YouTube decides I don't like that. I don't like the message. I don't think that's what should exist in our society. Delete, cancel, ban, suspended, whatever you name it, it's done. Okay, what am I gonna do? <sighs> Well, I can't be on these platforms anymore, and I certainly can't say what I think and what I feel. Where do I find people that agree with me? So I start going on anti-feminist message boards, and I find people, and they go, "Ah, well, this message board censors this, this, and this. Go to this one. Okay, I go down the rabbit hole to the next one, and it gets just more extreme and more extreme and more extreme. And the more extreme that it gets in the little cove or oasis that you're in, the worse the censorship gets on the outside, the more ostracized you feel from society. So the deeper you go into your own hole on the internet where nobody else exists except the people who totally agree with you on that one thing. So you are radicalizing people by censoring them. And we had this conversation on the show prior talking about incels and girls who are upset at these guys who who can't get women and then they're whatever, you know the incel, living in mom's basement, not particularly attractive, is not putting themselves out there as far as trying to get women and is constantly rejected. So they might develop a little bit of anguish or disdain towards women, but you're not allowed to talk about that openly. So they go to message boards and then they find other people and then it becomes this radicalized things. Not to say that all incels have been radicalized. I think there is a lot of boogeymanning of that particular community. And again, Jordan Peterson is somebody who's been deemed the king of the incels. And if that's the time that we're living in, then how can you trust any word or phrasing or what anybody says about any given group? They, they mean nothing anymore. But that's the cycle that we go through. So now that Elon owns Twitter, again, I'm not surprised that the N-word is trending. I think people are going to go through this sort of uh, just shotgunning out all the crazy things that they couldn't say before. Like Blair White tweeted out stuff about groomers and words that were being taken off of the internet and ivermectin works for covid and all this different stuff people are going to want to say all the things they couldn't say for the past few years and that's only natural so i wonder what will trend next but i think it's only going to get more tame from here (laughs) i think people are going to only get more reasonable let's move on to other stories outside of the twitter takeover So this got put out. Fans praise Disney's first ever plus size heroine in a new film. I believe this new film is called Reflect, and it's about a young little plus sized ballerina. And people took to the Internet, of course, and started freaking out about it. How could Disney make a movie about a plus size child? And why would they be uplifting this sort of narrative why would they be promoting this and you know what i'm going to take a centrist take on this whole film it's not out yet at least it's not on disney plus yet i went to go check it out to see if i could watch it it's going to be a short film as soon as it comes out i will watch it and give you my take on it but i don't necessarily see a problem with this cam do you have any issue with a plus size disney um No, not, I, I mean... It depends on the message. No, yeah, I, I don't, it, yeah, I think it depends on the message. If it was, like, somebody, you know, the, if the character looked like it was morbidly obese and yeah. it was, like, promoting this as, like, a healthy lifestyle or something or, like, right. as acceptable, then I would have a problem with it. But, like, 
I don't know. This person doesn't seem to be like, you know, super large or anything. Right. I don't think so. And there's plenty of uh, bigger children running around. Uh, and it happens to be quite a big problem here in the United States. So I don't think representing this in a film is inherently harmful. And I do think we're in this cycle of just seeing things and imagining that they're the worst thing yet and we all jump on the story and push it out and before we've even seen the film say oh it's so disgusting that Disney is making something like this but I'm curious to see what the message is because it looks like a bigger little girl doing a ballet which I think is totally a good message and you should be active and, and do something and find a hobby and a passion in your life so I'm not gonna jump on the bandwagon of being super upset about something that nobody has seen yet. But of course, everybody likes to jump on the headlines. And it is sort of a sign of the times with the body positivity movement that now Disney will be making a movie about something in in that vein. And apparently the movie is going to focus around the subject of body dysmorphia. So am I am I hopeful that Disney's going to have the right take on the issue? No, not with the stuff that they've recently put out. But if they are smart, if they are wise, and if they are taking a pulse on anything that people have said recently about Disney and how many parents are fed up with the content that they're creating, this will be a film that talks about, yes, this is something that it exists. This is what a healthy lifestyle looks like. And you can push for that healthy lifestyle at any size in, in your life. And we shouldn't hate ourselves. We shouldn't hate our bodies for what they are. But we should always be trying to improve. I hope that is the message of this Disney movie. And as, when it comes out, if you guys want to have me watch it and give you a review, I will do exactly that. But I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon before we even know what it is about i've watched other disney movies in the past they put out like i just i had to watch turning red which was wild and it was wild for a reason that's going to segue us into our next story turning red was about a little girl who also turned into a panda a big red panda and her turning into this big red panda coincided with her period, which they expressed in the film. It coincides with her emotional outbursts and it talks about womanhood and womanhood coming along for this young girl as becoming this red panda. And you think, oh, that's fine. She's, she's a young girl in the film. I, I don't remember how old she is. I think she's like 13 in the movie. Okay, 13 year old, that makes sense. Probably a conversation that parents are gonna start having around that time. Maybe it's not the worst thing to put that into a kid's movie, but there were so many elements that were snuck in that, of course, maybe kids wouldn't notice, but it's certainly a message that is subliminally taken on by the people who watch the movie. She says, my, my body, my choice, or my panda, my choice at some point in the movie, which of course only adults are gonna understand, but is, but is a subliminal message. The movie is very anti-parental authority in, in your child's life and allowing your child to just make decisions however they want to make. And she even has this sort of furry subtext to the movie, which if you guys don't know what furries are, Google it. 
Google it if you're old. If you're older than seventeen, <laughs> Google what furries are, I guess. Uh, and it is a very strange community of individuals who like to dress up as animals, and some of them do this in a non-sexual way, but others do it in a sexual way. And I find it hard to separate the two. So there's that. And in the movie. Turning Red, which is made by Disney for young children below the age of 13, even though the character in the movie is 13. She starts becoming this panda at school and all of the kids are obsessed with the fact that she turns into a panda. So they always want to see her. They start paying her money to turn into this panda. She starts making like memorabilia and merch for the kids to buy from her. And one of the shirts that she buys or creates is a fur baby shirt which is a direct link to this whole furry community of adults dressing up as these animals and engaging in whatever activity they engage in. And at the end of the movie, she is wearing her little fur baby t-shirt and a fake tail on her backside, which is not her panda tail, Cam. Not, not the one that she turns into. She's wearing a fake tail on the backside, which is what these people who identify as furries do. Are are you are you <laughs> well researched when it comes to furries, Cam? I'm I'm not well researched, but um, <laughs> I can say um, there was a school, a town over from mine when I was in high school, and the students at that school had requested to have the the full moon off. They oh. came to school and tried to eat out of dishes and wore their Gosh. tails. And, yeah. I've seen so many stories of this popping up, of kids identifying as furries in school. Yeah, and one of those is like the, the full moon thing. So we want the full moon off because we're going to turn into werewolves and animals and all these things, and we want the day to just do that. I've seen, I've heard stories of teachers having to kick little kids, little girls and boys out of their class because they won't stop meowing and barking and saying that they identify as these furry characters, which of course is really prevalent online. So if your kid's online, there's a possibility that they're getting exposed to it. Joe Rogan featured a story where kids were requesting litter boxes in their school bathrooms and the school bathrooms were fulfilling the request of litter boxes. Now, I don't know what these kids were doing in the bathrooms. I don't wanna know. Maybe they were just there as uh, decoration, decor, if you will, <laughs> in the bathroom. But litter boxes in kids' bathrooms. And since we're talking about Twitter, I believe every Thursday or Friday, Taylor sends this to me every Thursday or Friday whenever this happened. But the furry community trends on Twitter every Thursday or Friday with all of them like posting their costumes and the little art drawings that they make. I, and I just don't, I don't know what to say. Um, so open-minded that our brains fall out type thing. And this is what happens when you're in a society that is supposed to accept everything and everybody and all its forms and all of their identities and anything that they want to do. You start getting large communities of people who identify as furries. I think Taylor tried to look it up. He was like reading, <laughs> reading studies about this stuff or whatever. And there's over like 150,000 people in the United States who identify as furries actively online. It's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. <laughs> and here's this video that started trending on Twitter today. This guy tweeted out, shame is healthy for society, changed my mind. Um, let's, let's introduce you guys to the furry community, just in case you wanted to see it. 
I can't. I'm cringing. I'm stopping it. I'm stopping it. There's more time on it. There's like another 15 seconds, but I can't subject myself to this anymore. I just can't imagine doing this in public. The dude is wearing a dog collar and a dog head. I don't even, you know, there's so many different subsets of these identities now that I don't even know that this is a furry because this doesn't even look like a traditional furry costume. I don't, I don't know what's going on, guys. But jail. Prison. Jail. Gulag. I don't want to see it. This is unacceptable. <laughs> now, obviously, I don't think these people should be placed in jail. That might be a little extreme, but I just can't believe that this is happening in what is supposed to be a civil society. And can you blame people? You know, uh, we we have Dave Rubin on the show from time to time. And of course, he's gay, married to a man. And I, I always say to him, oh, aren't you so proud to be a member of the LGBT community? And he goes, I am not a member of the LGBT community. Absolutely not. Do not associate me with that. I, I, I'm just married to a dude and that's it, is what he says. And it's because, again, you can get so open that your brains fall out. And to have a group of people like this, this would be lumped in as some sort of sexual identity some new sexual form for a person to to have and to go by and present as and to think that that could be lumped in with people who are like yo i just like the same sex i don't know what's going on with the dog costumes i don't know what's going on at these pride parades i don't know why there's children involved in this i don't know why people are bringing this out in public i don't want to be lumped in with that and there's that side of it but you also can't get mad. You know, you're, you see these old school conservatives and what many would call like the old white man. And they say, well, I don't like the LGBTQ community because it's just going to get crazier and crazier and crazier. And then they're going to start talking about dogs. And then you have the group of this very small group of people, mind you, who are trying to bring in this map identity called uh, minor attracted people, which is just a, a pretty way to say pedophile, I guess. So... And they're trying to link that in to the LGBTQ community. They're trying to have pedophilia be a new color on, on the pride flag. So can you blame that older man who goes, I don't like that entire community when this stuff gets lumped in and you're seeing these videos go viral and you're seeing people do this stuff with public. It's kind of hard to separate the two, especially since they're making a distinct effort to group them all together and package them as one thing and make them seen as socially acceptable. And while you're allowed to do this and it is within your right to do this in public, this is not socially acceptable. The institutions act almost as if it's like a religious identity. If they're they're like providing litter boxes in schools and things. Yes, like. they're making it a protected class. You're quite <laughs> literally a protected class, and you have it begs the question: How far does this go? What is the next thing? And where do we draw the line as a society? And how is the line drawn? Because what if you say something to this person and you say? Hey, I have kids here trying to eat breakfast. I don't know what it is that you're doing, but that's not acceptable in Perkins. <laughs> like, sir, this is a Denny's. <laughs> I'm going to need you to leave. If you say that to him, is that a hate crime? 
honestly, is that a hate crime? Is that hate speech? Is that call the police and you get fined for telling this man that he shouldn't be able to dress as a dog with this whole sexual kink in public at this breakfast spot? I feel like we are moving into a time where that's going to be exactly what it is. You're going get, to get told that you are bigoted for not allowing this man to express himself, express himself in the way that he sees fit. And these identities are developing. They are real things. And unfortunately, they are hyper-present on the internet where young children are residing. And it's not the fault of the internet itself. It's not the fault of the social media platforms. It really is going to be on parents to really have an eye on what your kids are being exposed to. But how? How? I am so worried about having children when it comes to this sort of stuff. Because you can go, yeah, I'm not going to give them tablets. I'm not going to give them a phone, which I do not intend on doing for my kids at all. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Maybe I'll give them something. Maybe I'll give them a flip phone where they can reach me if necessary, but nothing that allows them to go on the internet. But then they go to school and their school teachers are talking about it and, and saying these are new sexuality forms that you can have. Their friends have cell phones. Their friends have TikToks. They're going on these platforms that quite literally just force feed you drugs, sexual practices, and the algorithm just inundates you with those things and they get exposed to it through their friends. I'm just like, am I, I can't be a crazy parent who locks my kid in a box and doesn't allow them to see the real world, but I certainly do not want them being exposed to this. So it's going to be about arming them with critical thinking skills so that when they see this, they go, that man is insane and I don't know what's going on and this is not okay. Jail, gulag, Siberia. <laughs> Anyways, guys, that's furries. Um, I don't know. What would you guys do if you saw this in public? And what are you? what is your plan? Do any of you have kids? And Cam will, I guess, look out in the comments if, if he can and see if you guys... What, are, what is your protocol for children on this? Because I plan on, on having my child be properly socialized and out in the world, much like any other child, except for this social media that is just ruining children's brains. So I, I don't want that being involved in my kid's life whatsoever. We're just moving away from everything that is healthy and everything that is good. And we're going to look at some TikToks that I think express that exact problem. Here's a young guy talking about finding a girl who wants to get married, wants to be the stay-at-home wife, who is nurturing and caring and oops, takes care of the children while he's away protecting and providing. Let's listen. My girlfriend, she's going to college right now. And I had a call with her because I knew this conversation was coming up. And the conversation was like, hey, uh, by the way, I don't want you to work. Like, I want you to stay home. And like hobbies and stuff, absolutely. Keep yourself sane. But I want you to kind of be home with me and yep. stick with the kids and raise the kids. I don't want you leaving at 9 a.m. and coming back at 5 to go work for like a corporate job. And she said, I'm so happy and thankful that you're the type of man that wants to work hard so that I don't have to. She said those words to me. And like, bro, I melted. I was like, I was like oh my God. God, that's like music, bro. Yeah. It's like, that's the best thing I've ever heard in my whole yeah. life. Because so many guys want to work hard so that they can provide, so that the girl can stay home and they don't want the girl or whatever, you know, like they want to be yeah. needed. They want to be the man, I feel like, or maybe that's just me. Yeah. I'm just throwing it out there. But yeah, and she said that and I was like, you have no idea how many girls would say the absolute opposite, but that they would never admit something like that or they just wouldn't feel like that. They want to do their own thing. My girlfriend. 
listen to that. Okay. I hear that and I'm like, W. www.com. <laughs> Do your thing. I, I, I love that he's like, yeah, pursue your hobbies and things that you're actually interested in and passionate about. But when we have kids, I would love if you stayed home with the kids. And she's like, Heck yeah, I'll stay home with the kids. Are you kidding? Yeah, you go and do the work and I'll do that. And I thought, oh, this, what a great video. Let's read the comments. And the comments, the number one comment is, uh, this is such a red flag. What? What? And 15,500 people said, yep, that is a total red flag. The fact that a man wants to go work as hard as he can to provide for you and your children while you stay home and just take care of the household, that's a red flag to you. It's so unbelievable. There's more. Uh, and then when you decide you're tired of her, she has no work experience to fall back on to make ends meet. Now, this argument I can see and understand, which is he talks about his girl being in college anyways. So that's already beneficial to the whole entire situation. And I think that's something that you would imagine is taken care of. Uh, you should have some sort of safety net if things don't work out for you, uh, whether that's uh, an agreement within your marriage about what happens with you and your children in, in the case of, of divorce, which I feel like is happening way too frequently in today's society, but that's a hot take. We can, we can get into that later if you would like. But yeah, make sure you have some sense of security, but that doesn't mean don't trust your partner. The person that you are choosing to enter the rest of your life with, uh, in this agreement that they're going to protect you and they're going to provide for you. If you're capable of choosing a good man who has his values straight and is in the correct headspace for you, he's going to want to make that happen for you. He's going to want to make sure you're taken care of. And he will certainly never put you in the position where you could not provide for you and yours, meaning you and your children. And it's all about the men that you choose. And what seems to be happening now is we have this epidemic of women choosing horrible men or at least men that do not want to be loyal and enter a, a committed relationship. And then they use that as their view of all men. And we're, there's just these egotistical, sort of narcissistic, high maintenance women who do not bring a lot of value to the table. I'm not going to lie. And we talked about dating apps and the studies they've done there that about 80% of women are going for the top 20% of men as far as like looks, income, how many female partners are interested in them, all this stuff. So they're going after, 80% are going after this top 20% of men, right? All trying to get dates with the same person. This guy, David's like, I've got 10 girls banging down my door who all want to go on a date with me. So he indulges in each and every one of these girls. And then they're like, uh, he doesn't want one partner and he's dating all these girls and he cheated on me and this and that. And girls refuse to just like, open up their pool a little bit and look for, for guys who actually want to be there for them, actually want to provide for them, and actually want to be in a committed relationship. And apparently girls are leaving relationships like crazy. It's like the amount of divorces that are initiated by women is also like 80%. Wild. Wild. So we can talk about feminism and I think how the, the fundamentals of feminism were really good, but modern day feminism has really gone so really far and it's not putting us in a good position whatsoever. Here are some of the other comments. This one says, quote, I want you to stay home, make no money so that I can tell you what you can and cannot do is all I heard. How do you hear that? It's so 
Wilde. Like, we did a review of the movie Don't Worry Darling, created by Olivia Wilde. And the whole premise of the movie, spoiler alert, if you're going to go and watch it, click off the show at the moment. But the whole premise of the movie was that these sort of incel type guys or these lame, unable to provide men were essentially kidnapping women, forcing them into a virtual reality simulation. And in this virtual reality simulation, the men were going to work while the women stayed home. The women had kids. The women just like cooked if they felt like cooking. They spent their day shopping in the city and then returned home. And then their husbands would come home from a long day of work and, you know, do anything that the woman wanted to do for them and go to sleep. And the next morning they'd go to work. And the end of the movie finishes as if the men in this story are just the most villainous characters you've ever heard from in your life. And I get it. We don't kidnap women and put them in VR simulations. Okay, guys. But your most evil VR simulation for a man is him going to work all day and providing for the woman that stays home. Like, that's the most evil, nefarious thing you could come up with. It's very spooky, Cam. It's very spooky. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't imagine being, um, like, upset by the idea of staying home all day and just, like, doing what your body is, like, biologically engineered to do and, like, nurturing children. Right. And, like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't It just seems like staying home and taking care of your kids and doing chores would be much prefer- much more preferable to going and working all day. Right. And it seems like women have gotten it confused. Like these other comments say, so she doesn't have a calling, a passion, a dream outside the house. Now, nah, I want a girl that has goals and ambitions so that we can grow together. Who's to say that staying home and being a mom does not mean you have ambition, goals, a passion, or a dream outside of the house. You do know that when you're home with children and don't have an obligation to your job, you can go out of the house. You can pursue things that you're passionate about. You can pursue dreams. It's like we've tricked women into thinking the only way that they can have dreams and passion and ambition is if they're working for a corporation or as if they've gone and got a degree or a PhD from an institution that is already failing anybody who enters it in getting a liberal education anyways. So where did women get tricked down the line that having a dream and having a passion and a calling has to be done through the system of going to college and working for a corporation and enslaving yourself to some other institution that does not give a shit about you, honestly. They don't care if you live or die. You are completely dispensable to them. You could quit your job and put in your two weeks notice and they'd have another Becky in your place the very next day. So where did we implant this trick that that's what having a dream and a calling was about? You can stay at home with your kids and you know what you have. Maybe a lot of women will disagree with me on this. You have time. You have time to pursue a bunch of stuff outside of simply caring for your children. I know that children are always there and they always want attention and they always want to to have you at their beck and call for anything it is that they want. But you also have a lot of time and a lot of freedom in not having your your name, your likeness and all of that attached to some corporate institution doesn't mean you don't have goals and ambition. I see moms who are stay-at-home moms running their own businesses, doing their own podcasts, just doing things that you would never be able to do if you were stuck in a nine-to-five job at a, at a hospital or something like that. That, a man coming to me and saying, I want you to stay at home with the kids is like the entire world opening up right, right at your feet. 
And to see these comments of, of people saying, bro, absolutely not. It's just so crazy. And of course, sprinkled in there is girls who are actually woke and real woke saying, yeah, I would be so dope to be a stay at home mom. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and here, this is one. And I like this one here. So, so here's Christelle. She says, as a businesswoman, I love being independent and an alpha, but not in a relationship. So yes, I agree for my man being the provider. And it doesn't mean that these two things cancel each other out. Doesn't mean you can't still be a businesswoman. Doesn't mean you can't still do your own thing. In fact, you have more time. You have more time. And here's the Daily Wire on TikTok talking about um, this issue of, of getting married and at what age people are getting married now. I think the average age of marriage in the United States now uh, is like 28 and 29, which is so wild in terms of being a, a later age than what has been seen historically. Now, I'm not saying we go back to freaking 13, 14, all this crazy stuff. Matt Walsh already stepped in the poop for the, for that old video that came out. Uh, but here's the video. We'll talk about it. Get married on average like 10 years later now than they did. It's destroying the country. That's right. And all of Western civilization. <laughs> it really is. I mean, people aren't having babies. He's exactly right. People aren't people aren't getting married at, at an age where they actually are able to grow up with one another because your wife shapes you and you shape her and that, that makes you both better people. You know, when, when I married my wife, I was tw I just turned 24 and, and she was 20. We've spent our lives growing up together. Right? I mean, now I'm 38 and, and she's, you know, 35. And, and that's that's a long time to spend I mean, half her life. You know, basically we've spent together. And, and that means that you grow and you change and you have experiences and then you bring kids into the world. And that radically changes you even more than just the marriage. To, when Jordan says that if you're 40 and single, you're blowing it. He is cutting directly against the grain of all current conventional right. wisdom, which is the best thing that you could do mm -hmm. is delay marriage and delay marriage until you make associate at the law firm working 2200 hours. Well, now they year. say grow up and then get married. And in the past, they said, get married and grow up. People get. Yeah. So it's so interesting. You, you have two sides of the uh, teeter totter here, I guess. And both can be seen as extreme, like waiting till 40 and waiting till your career's gone. Basically, biologically, you're out of the pool for having children and then getting married. And then like, you know, fresh out of high school, getting married. These represent two two extremes on the spectrum. But soft spot of like in the early 20s uh, is it's seemingly gone especially if you talk to young women at least here in LA I talk to girls who are like I don't want to get married until I'm 38 years old girl what and they don't want kids they want to be the auntie that spoils their nieces and nephews they don't want any personal responsibility of their own and I'm not saying that people who don't want kids should have kids I think we already have uh, maybe a problem with that happening in this country now, but the value set is not there. And what happens, I think, is that a lot of these women do go on to follow the path that they've set for themselves and then they get to the age where they can't have kids and they do want them because we naturally want that. Our bodies ask us to do those things and they go, oh, I got nothing to fall back on. My job. Oh, the job doesn't care about me. Oh, the job would replace me with the other thousands of women who are waiting to take my exact spot oh didn't realize that that was the case and they trick themselves into thinking that they're fulfilled in something that is actually not fulfilling at all and that's not to say you get married super young when you you don't know anything and you're naive but isn't there a little bit of a beauty to that isn't there something wonderful about getting married to somebody where you're you're in this stage of life of both growing up of both learning the world and there is something to be said for what they said. Uh, instead of like getting married when you're all grown up and you've already decided who you are and all these things, 
to getting married with somebody and you guys grow together and you go through life experiences now because now we're seeing what it's just like amy is 36 she's got a kid already from another man and she's like where do i find a man to marry and then we get another man and he's got a kid over here and then they get married and what 60 percent of marriages are ending in divorce now something's not right <laughs> something's not adding up and something is not going well and it's almost as though those sort of diamond anniversaries or i don't know the exact phrasings for all the different anniversaries you go through where it's like we've been married 25 years 30 40 50 years it's gonna be non-existent you're gonna have to live to 100 to fulfill those sorts of numbers with how people are getting married in today's day and age and we can say it's because oh we're waking up we're realizing that men don't serve us. We're realizing that relationships are not, you know, the end all be all of our lives. We're realizing that polyamory is better than monogamy and all these different things. But where's, where's the success in that? Where's the success? I saw this guy trying to basically take a stab at conservative people and say, they're not happy and their relationships are horrible and the women are unhappy in the relationships that they're in with men and they allow the men to control them. But there's a lot of research that shows that people who are entering these conservative traditional relationships are happier in life and they feel like their lives have meaning and fulfillment and that they've dedicated themselves to something outside of them, themselves really in creating a family with children and a husband, but also outside of what everybody else is attached to, which is what social media presence and working for X corporation for as long as you can and amassing what a bunch of material things and money that goes nowhere and means nothing by the time you're you're old enough to actually take stock of all the things that you've created and garnered for yourself. And I just can't see it being a happy society. And we don't seem like a very happy society. And maybe it's because we don't value things like love anymore and we value materialism over those things. Nobody's trying to teach you how to build a successful relationship anymore. It's all about being frivolous and, and promiscuous and doing things for me, 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 me. You'll hear so many young people say, if it's not serving me, then it's not serving. <laughs> Gosh. <sighs> and I'd like to say I dislike my own generation, but that's a generalization. I think so many people are getting attached to these things um, and in, in, in the wrong light. And I hope to see people who start to recognize that those that, the, that relationship, like who you marry, the most re important relationship you will ever create in your entire life. So why are we not spending as much time on those relationships as we do on our jobs, as we do on school, as we do on education? Because that's what's going to carry you throughout your entire life. Marissa Streit, who's the CEO of PragerU, when I first started working here, she was like asking me, like, what do you want your job to be like? All these different things. And she's like, are you dating? <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's a really interesting thing to ask me. She's like, I think you should dedicate as much time to your job and as much energy to your job as you do to finding a, your partner in life. And now a lot of young women say, well, a man's just going to fall in my lap. Prince Charming just comes to me because I'm already perfect. I'm already exactly who I should be. The man is going to come to me. He's going to serve me. And if it's not complete Prince Charming, if there's one red flag, if there's one thing wrong, you leave him because he's not the one for you. And that's the messaging that young girls are getting right now. Does that sound realistic outside of Disney movies? No. And it's barely even realistic in the Disney movie. And that's what girls think. They really think Prince Charming, perfect man, is just going to come to them without them doing any work on themselves, without them trying to 
make themselves presentable without them trying to bring something of value, without them trying to harness those nurturing, caring characteristics of themselves or whatever your strengths are, nurturing that, and a man's just going to come. I'm so sorry, but that's not going to happen. There are exceptions to the rule, though. And there are some girls that ha- that it happened to. And then it just so happens that those girls post on social media and it gets a million likes or two million likes and everybody thinks that's the norm. And uh, what you'll you'll see that phrase. If he wanted to, he would like a, a girl will post a video of her boyfriend walking over broken glass to put his jacket down in front of a puddle. And they go, if he wanted to, he would. Every man needs to hold up to the standard of what this man's doing for his woman. And girl, that's not the reality. I'm so sorry. There are great men out there, but you also have to go and find them. And you also have to make yourself presentable and make yourself something uh, that, that people want. Uh, but but alas, here we are. And the divorce rate's like 60%. So we'll see what happens. And that, that marriage age is going to go up and up and up. I think in the UK, it's 31. Anyways, guys, let's get into super chats. I'm depressing myself. <laughs> Okay, what do we got here? I've screenshotted some, so if I miss any, let me know. C2 to J. Imagine having the freedom to type letters on a computer screen. Uh, wait. Imagine having the freedom to type letters on a computer screen is considered the end of times to society. What an apocalypse we live in, right? We spoke about this earlier this week. Everything to them is catastrophic. All the things. You, you mispronounce somebody's name, catastrophic. Use their wrong pronouns, catastrophic. The temperature goes up one degree. Catastrophic. We're all going to die. The world's going to end in in 12 years, as a young AOC once said. And I believe we're inching up on that timeline here, and nobody's dead yet. So if if somebody is telling you the most catastrophic answer to the question that you have, probably not the person to be trusted, unless they have real, real evidence, data, proof, whatever, to back that up. And, of course, Elon Musk owning Twitter is not the end of times. Let's see. This next one, I think this is from Manikaila. Is there a risk that Musk-owned Twitter doesn't allow critique against the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party? I hope freedom of speech is allowed regarding CCP. I don't see not. Why not? I don't know about Elon Musk and his ties to the Chinese Communist Party and if there are any ties to the Chinese Communist Party, but I imagine he's reasonable and rational when it comes to things like that and that that criticism would be allowed. I also haven't heard many stories of people being censored for criticizing the Chinese Communist Party on Twitter specifically. Remind me if I'm wrong on that, but um, that's not something that I've heard. So hopefully that's allowed. There's plenty of criticism to levy out. I need to do a whole episode on that, but we'll get there. Chance Haley, thank you for your super chat. You can expect a new art concept for Elon's recent acquisition if Twitter, of Twitter. A new art concept? I wonder what that's in reference to. Um, I, I'm not sure. Do you know what that's in reference to, Cam? A new um, art concept? No, sorry. I was, um, I don't know what that's in reference to. I was writing down other super chats. <laughs> okay, perfect. Cam's, Cam's keeping the book straight. Okay. Uh, but thank you for your super chat. Samantha Reese, she says, call me furry phobic, but I'm terrified of mascots. <laughs> it's like the kids being scared of clowns. You know what? I feel you on that one. I feel you on that one. Mascots were a little scary to me as a kid. I was like, I know you're not real. What's going on in there? She won't be a fan of the Halloween special. <laughs> no, you won't. 
We are putting out a Halloween special on PragerU's Instagram. I believe, is that going out Monday or over the weekend? Do you know? I'm not sure. Okay, well, keep an eye out for it. I have a cameo in it, uh, so you guys can check that out. Uh, yeah, I was really scared of clowns as a kid, so that was not fun for me. I can't remember having, like, any super strong phobias or anything like that as a kid, other than, like, bugs. Not cool for me as a child. Now, let's move on. Also, I am furry phobic. Not in the scared way, just in the get away from me type of way. <laughs> okay, big floppa. Thank you so much for your super chat. I'm scared already. It says, wait until Amala learns about baby furs. <sighs> I'm tempted to Google it, but I'm actually not going to Google it while we're live because I have a feeling my eyes are going to burn and I'm going to get uh, deplatformed for whatever it is that pops up. And I really don't want to know. So maybe I will do that on my own over this weekend and we'll come back to you on Monday about baby furs. Oh, gosh. Samantha Reese, thank you again. This idea of expressing sexual orientation is being forced into the workplace, too. I emailed you regarding a personal experience. It's ridiculous. I'll have to check out that email. I'm not prepared for that either. You know, there's this family in Florida that's now decided to sue a school in southern Florida, which y'all know is my home state. I'm not from southern Florida, but central. And they're suing because even though they have this parental rights and education bill, a teacher has still decided to put pride flags up in the classrooms of these 12-year-olds, I believe it's a computer science teacher, and have conversations about these kids' sexualities. So now, luckily, they have this bill that they can actually sue the school for allowing this to happen. But even in the face of, of direct legislation that says you are not able to have these conversations, these teachers and these employers feel the need to continue. And it's just like, why? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And they truly think this is the compassionate thing to do, maybe. I'm hoping that's the case, that they are just truly thinking they're doing something good for children, opening up their minds a little bit to what they can identify as and all these things. I hope that it's that and not something more nefarious of just trying to get children at a young age uh, to express sexuality in some way. But it's not, it's not, it's not cool. It's not okay. And I'm curious to see where this lawsuit goes. We all know lawsuits take forever to pan out and to actually uh, see their day of justice. So I'm curious, but I, I think there's going to be more because they don't even care. Even when they're told legislatively you are not able to do this, they do it anyways. Moving on. No one of consequence. Thank you for your super chat. I'd give the kid exactly what they want. They will eat dog food out of a dog dish on the floor, ground, and they sleep outside. Dare I say the kid would actually do it? And maybe even enjoy it in today's day and age. It's possible. It's unfortunately possible. <laughs> I don't know. I try to put myself in these just thought experiments of what would I do if my kid came to me and thought they were a furry. And I think I would just take a breath. <sighs> just be like, hey, where would you get that idea, buddy? Who expressed that to you? And as soon as I got a name, I would be in my car and going to whoever's place of business that was. And uh, not a strongly worded letter. Strong response in, in their face. So, uh, and then from there, just trying to talk to your kid about how this is not, probably not the best way to go about things. It's probably not conducive for, for success. But you know, kids hate when you reject the things that they want to do. But that, that deserves rejection. <laughs> 
<laughs> that deserves rejection. Kai Hall, no message, but thank you so much for your super chat. I appreciate it. Elif or Elif, thank you for your super chat. Do we live for ourselves, question mark, or are we alive for something outside of ourselves? Hashtag profound, hashtag deep. And that's true. It's a great question to ask. And I think for for much, so much of the time that we spend on this earth, we spend it living for ourselves in more ways than one. And when you find somebody who you want to be with and you want to marry and you start having conversations around kids, that's when you just start. Well, well, life starts, you start living outside yourself when you actually do find that partner. So now you have another person who's in your life and you are now living for them in a sense, or at least giving up space and time and uh, emotion in your life for that person. And that's good practice for moving on to children where it is just giving all to, to your kids. So when you find that person and start having conversations about kids, that should be so exciting. And girls, there's, there's TikToks that I see all the time and... Twitter feeds and and Instagram posts and all this stuff and conversations that I'm having here in LA where I'm talking to a girl who's very much my senior, probably 28, 30, 32, 35, and they are saying to me that when friends tell them that they're pregnant, they don't know whether or not to be excited or to cry for them. Even if the even if the woman's excited, they feel depressed for their friend for her decision to have a child. And to me, that just blows my mind and shows how we failed young women in in our in our time. We have failed them that they think that that is a sense in a sense failure. They think that's losing yourself in, in having a child. If you are with somebody right now and you're having conversations about having kids and they're a good person that you see yourself being with long term, although we can't always account for what hap- what happens in the long term, you should be so excited. You are going to create somebody who you are accountable to, responsible for, and that responsibility and that challenge, and we can call it a challenge because in many ways it is, is a beautiful thing that's going to have you grow so far beyond what you are at the current point of having that conversation. So, yeah, very profound question to ask yourself. Gina Leon, wonderful job you and your team do, Amala. I just wanted to say that marriage is not easy, but it is worth it. Thank you. Another great Thing to point out marriage isn't easy and this idea that i'm seeing all the time of prince charming is just going to come into your life and there's going to be no problems and as soon as you have a problem you leave him is just wild you there's not a person in the world that you could put yourselves in a house in for the rest of your lives and there will be no issues ever whether that's on a large scale or a, what we hope is just a small scale and small arguments and, and bickering and things like that that person in the world. So that's obviously going to be what happens in your marriage. You are choosing to spend the rest of your life with somebody who is a totally separate, unique individual with their own wants, needs, desires, actions, reactions, and you guys have to learn to coexist with each other. And to think that marriage is just us meeting each other and everything's going to be perfect and nobody ever grows or learns or goes through rough patches it's just just such a lie and unfortunately the lies being sold next from kai hall thank you again staying home and raising children and taking care of the home slash garden is work which results in happier children growing into well-rounded productive adults which they in turn raise children of their own the cycle repeats i'm curious i i I get when people say being a mom is a job, right? Because it, it, 
you have requirements, you have a kid to take care of, you have things that you need to do. I don't like perceiving it as a job or or saying that it's necessarily work and maybe it's just the connotation of the word doesn't bode well for me. I'm just like, you're a mom. It's the most natural thing your body is ever going to do. Work is what men do. <laughs> like That's the job, that's the work. I get that having kids can be taxing. You have a whole nother human being who is not fully developed yet, who doesn't understand the world yet and is asking so much of you and sometimes you don't understand what's going on, you don't understand what they're going through and you have to bring yourself down to the level of a child which we all forget because we're not children anymore and that can be difficult. But I don't like when people are like, being a mom is a job. <laughs> Do you are you have any hot takes on this? I know there's probably going to be upset people in my comments. Um, I mean, not necessarily a hot take to this, but I think like probably about as close to Prince Charming as you as you're going to get is somebody who says, "I want to work all day so you can stay home mm -hmm. and do whatever you want and have all the time in the world to pursue hobbies or freelance careers because mm -hmm. you can you can stay home and make money on freelance careers." Um. I, I just seems so much more preferable to me. And that seems like almost in a long form way equivalent to laying your jacket down over the glass. Like yeah. you're taking the brunt of like working all day and being up late and getting no sleep so that your significant other can be happy at home because you care about them. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, you haven't had kids yet, so you don't know. You can't say that it's not a job or it's not work. I'm not saying anybody can have their own opinion on it. And when I have kids, I will update you. <laughs> I, I will update you on, on how I feel about it because, of course, it's very easy to say that uh, having not had kids. But I just, to me, it's just like it's only natural. And I get it's a person who you constantly have to take care of. This is 24 hours a day. It's not clock in and clock out or whatever. I, I just don't see it in the same vein as going to a corporation and being subservient to a boss. Uh, even though you you have to take care of your children, you have to do everything it is that they need when you are a mom. I just don't see it in the same vein. Again, I think it's only only natural. Maybe in the beginning, maybe it's maybe it's more difficult in the beginning when this person mm -hmm. like can't listen to what you say. Right. But as right. your child gets older, I'm sure it only gets easier. Yep. And I, of course, and everything's going to be taxing, but taxing doesn't mean job. It's that's just my opinion on the matter, and I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, maybe that's why so many young women don't want to have kids too because they're like oh this is just a 24-hour job that i'm signing up for and it's just 24 hours of work and i don't get anything from it but you get so much from it so much from family and they'll recognize it sooner or later hopefully some of them won't and if you never recognize it then you probably never should have had children in the first place and guys i think that's it for super chats let me know your comments down below I know we got into a hot take at the end. Is it, Would you classify being a mom as work or a job? Is that how you refer to it? And I know we have a lot of moms who watch the show, so let me know in the comments down below. And again, I'll update you when I have a kid, and I'll let you know whether or not I think it's a job or work. Let me know in the comments down below. Also, Halloween is Monday. What are you dressing up as? Let me know in the comments after the show. And uh, say congrats to Taylor, because Taylor is off this weekend trying to get a house with his wife. So we might have some homewarming coming up 
after uh, after this weekend. So give him a congrats in the in the comments down below. I'm sure it's not the easiest process trying to find uh, a house for you and yours. So thank you guys so much for watching the show. Please like, subscribe, click. Uh, click the notification bell to be notified every single time we go live. That's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. And our Discord server is in the links down below in the description. You can go and join, open a ticket, send us your email, and we will let you in within a day or so. So far, it's been within 24 hours you get into the Discord server to talk to everybody and have some fun. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Have a fantastic weekend and a happy Halloween, and we'll see you Monday.